0: From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Just a warning for listeners what follows may not be appropriate for young children. There is discussion of sexual abuse eating disorders, and other kinds of trauma.
1: I would sneak downstairs to my mom because I was uncomfortable being there, of course. And because they were getting divorced, and I was like six or seven, and she would um, tell me about, like, raccoons that are going to come eat me in my sleep if I stay down there. Like, just constant fear. Like, there's no safe place. So I slept in closets. I slept under my brother's bed. Um, I slept under my bed, I slept outside, I slept in the tree fort. I just, there was no safe place ever.
0: Anna Shalem is talking about some of her earliest trauma, in this case perpetrated by her mother. Today, she's a sought-after fisherman. She prefers that term, she says, even though you'll hear her describe herself as a fisherwoman a couple of times. She delivers her carefully harvested shellfish, oysters, mussels, clams, stone crabs, to some of the best restaurants and most respected chefs in North Carolina.
1: Being in the marsh is the most therapeutic experience. It requires my full presence and singular attention. The situational awareness and physical strength required allows my entire self to focus on the task at hand and not anything I was worrying about recent or past. Despite the dangers the marsh can present, I feel so deliberately engaged with the environment that I don't feel as vulnerable as I have felt while bartending.
0: She's reading a piece she's written about the dangers of being in the marsh alone, just off the coast of southeastern North Carolina, near Masonboro Island in the Cape Fear region.
1: However, it is possible to make mistakes in the marsh. Thunderstorms can be sporadic and sudden. The randomness of Mother Nature always keeps me on my toes and requires me to occasionally quickly replan my approach to the harvest. Thunderstorms are my main threat. They can sneak up out of nowhere. I'm the tallest thing in the marsh, working with metal tools. Normally, I will just lay in the marsh on the wet earth and allow the storm to pass, but I have lucked out with the ghost ships that have been beached by hurricanes. I have a wonderful romantic memory of eating my pickle snack in a massless hull of an abandoned sailboat and hiding within its skeleton. I was no longer the skyscraper of the marsh, but a mollusk in her shell. I love to write uh, poetry or uh, vignettes Um, all throughout my life. I've found writing as like, and like kind of like an escape.
0: An escape. She has a lot to escape from, mostly memories at this point, but undeniable childhood, teenage and young adult trauma. As she gathers her shellfish, the marsh teaches her how to heal.
1: When I lived in New York, I was so poor <laughs> that my entertainment was like sitting on a subway train and listening to conversations and writing down the ones that I like. So I've got like so many journals of strangers' conversations, which have been just so fascinating to look at later. And then um, writing has always, uh, it's always something that has been a release, an escape, and um, makes me feel strong when I, when I finish it, um, or not finish it.
0: We're standing on the back of her boat at the marina, preparing to head out for some shellfish harvesting. This is our first meeting.
1: My name is Anastar Shellam,
0: which spells ass
1: for initials, <laughs> which is awesome. I am a commissioner for the Division of Marine Fisheries for the state of North Carolina. I'm a commercial fisherwoman. Um, I harvest clams, oysters, mussels, and stone crabs all by hand,
0: um, all wild. We've piled into her 14 foot Livingston. Anna describes it as a little catamaran named, <laughs> what else? The Nameless Shameless. Yay. There are a slew of creeks we'll have to pass through to reach her favorite place to harvest.
2: That's his that is <gasps>
0: It's a sunny, late summer day, and now Anna is wrist deep in the marshy sand, which, again, is not without danger. Stone crabs boast very strong claws. Come on, guy.
2: I'll be so stoked if he comes out. Now you can see why Anna's got amazing (laughs) muscles.
1: Fighting stone crab claws. Oh my god, I hope he's in there. I feel like I feel his face. Come on, bro. Ooh, he might have just let one go. Did you hear that? That's a nice little western. And they can bury themselves so deep. But since we found this one initially, I have confidence that we'll find another. (laughs) Ah, oh, got <laughs> nope. Damn, he must be deep in there. We'll give him a second and let, um, There's that's a beautiful oyster. We'll let him, uh, we'll let him chill out for a second and come back to him. Because there's probably going to be other ones right around here. Gosh, how anticlimactic. Oh, it drives me insane. <laughs>
0: the fact that the stone crab could easily take off a finger makes Anna careful, but not fearful. It's the man-made dangers that frighten her
1: my first year i was as a commercial fisherman owning shellam seafood i was harvesting clams in one spot that was really deep and i was like i know they're going to be back there i can't wait and all of a sudden i hear footsteps behind me and that was that that scared me first of all and i was like maybe it's a family it could be like a family with little kids that also want to go clamming and but it was one guy with a rake and he's and his rake was longer than mine because i'm thinking of like defending myself because i have this little three or three pronged garden rake and his was like an actual clamming rake so anyway all the worst scenarios go through my mind instantly especially because you can't really escape or like run away through mud especially the kind of mud that i experienced that like brings back childhood fears of quicksand it's that mucky um so he he comes up and he starts clamming behind me and unfortunately I was in a bathing suit which I was like damn now I don't now I like it's so hot it's like it's I'm just being comfortable but now I feel like I've signed myself up for something that I don't want um and so he's clamming next to me and then he said you know he introduces himself he's um real real country sinewy dude and I don't know I, I think hillbillies are terrifying <laughs> White hillbilly men are really scary people <laughs> um, for the power they think they have. Um, but I introduced myself back, and he was clamming right in my area. And I was like, "Well, this just sucks because I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna explain what I'm doing out here." He knows that I was here, and he's like, "Man, I've been wanting to come back here for a long time. I didn't expect to find no lady back here." And I'm like, "Yeah, um, yeah." And I thought I was gonna, I was getting ready to move, and I was grabbing my baskets, and he's like here. These claims are for you. You can take these. I just wanted to see what was back here, which totally took me aback. Like I totally thought that he was going to be, I, you know, my first impressions were not good, but he ended up being really sweet. And, um, I see him on the water still. And if he has extra Spanny Mac in his boat, he'll be like, y'all want some Spanny Mac. And he's, it turns out he's super, super nice. Um, but that fear of being approached in isolation in a that's what I think. That's because of that fear that I have. I, you know, I might be looking for things more than just the fish I'm after. I'm looking for what's my exit route. What's my escape for this? Um, thinking of the worst scenarios because we have to, because we, because happens. <laughs> you have we. to be ready. Yes, we women. Um, you know, it's, it's like when you you choose what time of the day to run. You know, you you have to be thinking about. Like elevators make you uncomfortable. Just be, just proximity to strangers because we've all, every woman I know has been assaulted or um, raped or abused or um, put in the corner, even if it's just verbally or like a creepy business tactic. Like we've all been told to do less and be less and don't interrupt the male, the, the dude's world which is totally what I did with fishing.
0: Which required more bravery, more courage than you might think. As a child, and through her teenage years, she suffered horrific and repeated sexual abuse. Her mother sent her to live in New York City when she was a young teenager.
1: So I was on tour with Disney, and that was when I was in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and then after that, it opened up a lot of doors for me in New York City. One summer, I was before I went to New York, I was in an opera. Um, Don Giovanni and I don't sing opera but I was the maid in Don Giovanni with an, an amazing woman who she allowed me to come stay in her place while she was on tour in Japan so I was technically watching her cat Melusine when I was 13 my mom signed over legal guardianship that she'd be there but she wasn't um, so I lived by myself in New York City for the first summer when I was um, 13 turning 14 and then I'd come home and go to school and then come back um, every single summer till I was 17.
0: So as a child, she worked as an actor and a model in New York, alone and unprotected.
1: It, I, I don't know how I did it now that I look back on it, because now the more I know about how dark the world is, like, why was that allowed? Why was that okay? Um, you know, that built a lot of animosity between my mother and I for putting me in certain circumstances and situations, but, um... For, for us, for our family, I started doing professional theater when I was eight, when my parents got divorced.
0: To help support the family, says Anna.
1: My agent thought that I had a, a guardian there. Everybody thought that I had someone there, but I...
0: Why didn't you tell them that you didn't?
1: Um, Because I knew it would get my mom in trouble. <laughs> there was that um, uh, sense of fear in everything I did then, you know, and, and never being good enough
0: never being good enough. You're listening to Coastline. Stay with us. You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn.
1: My name is Anna Shellum, and I'm a fisherwoman and owner of Shelham Seafood Company. I'm the marsh girl, salt marsh queen, uh, that oyster girl, and um, I'm a commissioner for uh, marine fisheries, and I'm a wife <laughs> and a puppy mama.
0: <laughs> She's been telling us about her childhood, it's accompanying trauma, and how her new career as a fisherman, specifically shell fisherman, is helping to heal her. Well, more accurately, the place she plies her trade, the marsh, is her healing place.
1: I really really wanted to be like the best daughter I could be, so um, my mom was really hopeful that I would be like this famous, amazing actress that could support her forever and marry rich and be rich and Um, so I was trying to fill in all of these, um, puzzle pieces that she wanted. And, um, and I would say, I mean, like she, she got the money that I was working hard for. So I was supporting my family. Um, I just, I felt like I was always living to like prove myself and, Like, my nickname was Little Miss Second Place. And if I didn't get an audition, she'd be like, well, what did you do wrong? What can we fix? Do we need to dye your hair? Do we need to bleach your teeth? You're not skinny enough. I had eating disorders for years. Um, I'd eat cotton balls for lunch because it makes you feel full and then have a Diet Coke and iceberg lettuce at dinner or, like, just trying to be something that was just not working for my spirit. And, um, like, it put me in some very sketchy, dangerous situations, especially because I didn't know the city when I first got there.
0: She's telling me about living and working in New York City while she was a teenager, a child, unsupervised and unprotected. As she talks, we stand on the back of her boat parked in the marina.
1: So I would get a call from my agent about like how many auditions I had that day. And then I would look at the subway map and like try and map it out. and. Um, If I had an audition at 1, I'd leave at like 9 in the morning in case I couldn't find it. So I'd have to, and I preferred walking so I could learn the city um, until I got used to the subways.
0: It was Anna's first career, being a child actor and model. Today, she harvests high-quality shellfish for notable chefs and restaurants in North Carolina you might encounter her oysters at Seabird Restaurant in downtown Wilmington. If you travel to Raleigh, you could find her shellfish in any one of Ashley Christensen's celebrated eateries, Anna Shalem's Mussels or Clams at Poole's Diner, or her oysters at Death and Taxes.
1: Before COVID, I had a 31 different restaurant accounts that I was supplying, and now I don't know how I did that. I was going to Charlotte, I was going to Little Washington, I was going to um, Kinston, I was going to uh, Lone Cedar in the Outer Banks. Um, and then after COVID, it's like, select one's stuck. And now we have a, like a, a strict schedule, not strict, but we have a solidified schedule that um, they can plan on my harvest and I can stay on their menus. And so my name's on their menus. And so there's a story coming from the fisherman to the chef to the table that um, people have really been excited about. Most of my chefs that I work with have been out fishing with me. Um, I do uh, catch. Keith Rhodes, I do manna downtown with Carson and Billy, Um, second glass wine bar.
0: The New York Times has profiled her. A German documentary team followed her around with cameras, but her consistent marsh companion is Vic Roberts, who I have to say has appeared on Coastline at least twice in other capacities. Once in a discussion about the origins of English food, the other a very personal account of being queer in the Cape Fear region. The three of us are in the marsh together on this warm late summer day, and Anna is teaching Vic and me about oysters and mussels.
1: All right, so this is de-bearding a mussel. Squeaky. That's what you take to them, yeah. And they range in size from two inches to six inches, so there's a lot you can do with them.
2: What about... Sex of oysters. They can change. they
1: are trans guys. <laughs> they can <do laughs> be whatever they want to be, and they change frequently, every every single one of them.
0: Anna picks up an oyster that catches her eye.
1: Back of that shell looks so pretty. It's like a little mermaid tail. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be really nice. Keep going, buddy. Well he could be a she. <laughs> he could be a she. Don't mean to they, they could right. be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> It's dropping quick.
0: She's talking about the tide. I ask her if that means it'll soon be hard to get out of the marsh and back to the marina.
1: You have to know the way. But there's the sandbars change every single year with every single, every single storm. And then also, whenever people dredge, which they have been every year, it changes it drastically. So, um,
2: what, is, what damage does dredging do to the beds?
1: I know it changes the sandbar so it can change the height of the oyster bed as things get shuffled around um i know that having all of that mechanic in the water doesn't really make you want to fish near it um they had a big gasoline spill that closed everything down so that was really sad it even came all the way back up through the marina from masonboro and they were right over here near the jetty so because like the whole fire department and the coast guard showed up to the marina since that's where it was like shuffling too so they thought it was an issue with a boat at the marina but it was actually the way the tide was coming in and the way the current was leading it from the dredge boats into the marina so that means it passed through technically open areas that you could have harvested and that did not close down the proclamations because it was a king tide week so there was enough overflow to filter but I still didn't want to harvest I didn't want to eat that if it was only within
2: 24 hours of being blushed with gasoline. It's gross. So can oyster beds take being submerged permanently or is is part of their natural life cycle to be unsubmerged?
1: They can be submerged permanently. Um, If you go up to Topsla Beach, they are always submerged. Um, The tide just drops differently here. I like it because it gives me a better visual about the landscape so I can harvest all the things. But um, I've been up to, like, Stump Sound and I've been in a wetsuit pulling oysters up with my hands or um, or clamming with my feet up there, like different methods. But Masonboro is really special, I prefer.
2: Clamming with your feet, have you got prehensile toes? What?
0: <laughs> Vic is on her own healing journey and while Anna dubs her the deckhand, there's no pay involved. Vic happily comes along to learn about mollusks, shell fishing, and the secrets of the marsh.
2: Well, I'd been following her on Instagram and as you know, I love food. I also want to know where my food comes from. Often I even want to know what it's called. So i had been following her. I was fascinated by the fact that she was hand harvesting. And I also just wanted to learn about our local marshes and areas. So I sent her a few messages on Instagram and asked her a few questions. And eventually, she, after I was annoying her for quite a while, she said, why don't you just come out with me? And I'll show you what you know, what I do and what it's like. And she. I went out with her on a non-commercial day because she didn't want to take out a stranger who might be a real pain in the backside <laughs> on a day when she's got to get thousands of uh, mollusks. So she took me out and showed me around and I, I loved it. I loved it for the same reason that she does because it's a very spiritual place to be. And you're once you're out there and the tide has dropped, you've got to wait until it, until it rises again before you can pull your boat out. So I found it very physically joyful to be out there and very physically demanding so i persuaded her that she ought to take me out for a proper commercial fishing day she did reluctantly but i can work you know working on farms and working on buses in her younger days
0: vic drove a city bus around london and had to learn the mechanics of the bus so i'm
2: used to you know slugging through things with buckets of heavy items mud or dirt or oil so when we first went out together for the proper commercial harvest, it was, really was backbreaking. And there was so much I had to learn.
1: Just to see the way her face lights up is just, I can tell we connect with the marsh the same way, and nature, and enjoying physical labor, because her all her past jobs have included so much physical labor, and being in a man's world, driving the London buses, I mean, she's just, like, a force to be reckoned with, and... Um, I find her so inspiring. Um, we laugh so much in the marsh and, um, you know, we're both quite creative and a little quirky. So we'll name the things we find and give them accents. And there's lots of Fiona muscles and uh, Michelle, the fan clam. And um, anyway, we're, we have, we just, we're, we feel like we're kids out there together.
0: Right now, Vic's curriculum is focused on muscles the kind they're harvesting. But both women are noticing and enjoying and talking about the kind they're developing on their bodies. But back to the shellfish.
2: I can get, you know, 250 quite quickly. So I've been focusing on those. So she sent me out to find them. And and those, they, they like to hide. So they grew up like fingers at the base of the cordgrass, and they sort of reveal themselves. I thought it was very straightforward, like you'd see this sort of brown, brown slickness on the top of the mud. And that's, that's how you're going to find them. But no, it depends. It depends what mood they're in. Okay. Sometimes you might just see the tiny slit in the mud, and that's just the top underneath which is the top of the, the muscle, And sometimes the muscles actually might just be sticking out. And sometimes just nothing at all. So, so going out there and in, on my hands and knees in, in the mud, sinking sometimes quite deeply into the mud, finding these muscles has just so purposeful. I'm thinking about nothing else. And I began to understand why Anna finds the marsh so such a rejuvenating place, a place where her spirituality her uh, arrives to, in, a, in a pool of calmness, where she can begin to recover because you're not doing anything anything but focusing on the task in hand and it's very singular so it's either you're looking for mussels or you're looking for clams or maybe it's it's stone crabs or or these single most beautiful oyster you can find and it your entire attention goes to that and the physical exertion, I think, just is is psychologically good. I think that rejuvenates one.
0: Vic, who introduced me to Anna, is also very protective of her.
2: Anna has shared with me, as mainly as we go out on the boat, because often when we work together, she'll send me off to do something and we'll be separated for maybe an hour or so. So we we talk when we're back at the boat when we do, we're de-bearding muscles or when we're going in or out for the day. And she's shared with me some of her vulnerabilities. I think because we do... We have a lot of in common and we do feel like children out there. I feel like I'm playing with my you know seven year old best friend when we're out there and we laugh and we and giggle a lot so we became very close quickly and she shared with me some of her vulnerable experiences in her life and I have about the, the vulnerable experiences of mine so when it came to you interviewing her for this I wanted to I really wanted her to be able to talk about how the the marsh is a very private it's very vulnerable, it's a very specific place to be, but it's one where she's been able to recover um, psychologically very deeply, and also physically, because abuse and trauma manifests itself physically, it's not just in one's head.
0: I ask Vic what she means about trauma manifesting physically. A physical scar from a physical trauma is the clearest example, she says. But there are other types
2: of scars. And it might just be that you hold yourself in a particular way, like I, I, for example, have fairly big breasts, which I try mainly to minimize because I don't want them looked at. And that's, over the years, has led to my having a bit of more of a slumped posture because I'm forever thinking, well, I'm just, my shoulders are folded forwards or I keep my arms folded. Not uncommon for women. Any psychological trauma or physical abuse can manifest itself ongoing in ways that you don't realize. And the great thing about doing physical work like Anna is doing out in the marshes, there's no option for you to be folded over. Not when you're carrying two 35 pound buckets of mollusks through mud and sinking up to your thighs. You have to be powerful, strong, upright and you have to use all of your body. So that's I think it is, is a way that it addresses physical injury and the and the repetition of that injury that you might have had as a five year old or a fifteen year old or a ten year old. So but as to feeling protective over Anna, she speaks so freely about her her childhood and youthful traumas and her young adulthood traumas
0: because it's a healthy thing to do. But once a story or an interview is published, especially in the twenty first century it's forever.
2: It really is. I, I will say that not having social media when I grew up is a great thing because Lord knows what would be echoed right now and Lord knows what traumas would be repeated because of that. So, you know, and that's another great thing about being out in the marsh is only the marsh hears what's being said.
0: For Anna, living unsupervised in New York City as a child was traumatic. The loneliness, the constant fear, the abuse by adults, the constant criticism from her mother.
1: I had, I was doing great. I had like five different agents at one point. I was with uh, Ford and About Face Models and um, was successful with it. Like it was, I was there for a reason. But it was just, I was absolutely miserable because not ever feeling good enough ever was awful and being alone all the time was awful because it feels unsafe to like even go out to dinner when you're thirteen and fourteen and
0: Did you have a credit <laughs> card from your mom? or like?
1: No I paid for everything. Tour helped me get started and then I booked jobs to, to pay for my myself and then when I was at home um, during the school year I worked at a gym and I worked at a restaurant and just work 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 work.
0: <laughs> so who coined the nickname Little Miss Second Place? My mom.
1: Yeah, she she and I have had to try to work through the what she's done to me so I'm um, I'm a lot stronger now and, and feel sympathy for her because for someone to do that must have been through a lot of trauma themselves. Our relationship was very uh, mommy dearest for a while You know when i when i didn't want to be an actress anymore she got so mad at me she was um infuriated she she, uh she would she used to do things like read my journal a lot (laughs) and when i was there before i moved to north carolina i had written this piece about um me finally being happy and perhaps she might be jealous of that and um i woke up one morning with her like slamming every cupboard and just from upstairs I could hear her exasperation and then she comes stomping upstairs and then I look over I see that my journals out she was like you think I'm jealous of you I'm not jealous of you I'd rather slit my wrists than be you and those were like common things to hear just like I've always been very used to negativity about um, my decisions my body image so that's that's why it feels really good to own my own business now and to make my own choices and to live on a boat and do things that make me very, very happy. Oh, obviously, the reason why I was working so much was when my parents got divorced, my dad never paid child support.
0: While the marsh is her primary place to find solace, she also gets relief in writing, painting, and sketching.
1: Like, my dreams are horribly intense, and they also inspire me to write the, because it's just, I only have nightmares, but, um, I try to find like, you know, the good in them, I think, or like what, what they're trying to tell me and what my subconscious is trying to tell me. And then I'll try, so I'll, I'll write them down initially and then I'll go back and think on it and write down colors, which then turns into like an art piece. I'll paint, I love to use acrylics or watercolors. So, um, just mediums that give me like solid, um, solid relief, really, you know, writing, painting.
0: Building her muscles as she fishes in the marsh is affirmation of more than simply her physical strength. Developing muscles is countering her long-held ideal of extreme thinness required for a working model in New York, which is, of course, another form of harm from which she's recovering. In fact, she tells me, she's just now remembering a moment when one of her abusers tells her, if she stays this size forever, she will be the most beautiful woman in the world.
1: And I was like 108 pounds and 5'9 and nothing but bones. And my mom was telling me the same thing, you know, like you, you, you're only pretty if you do that, if you look like that. and um. When my mom found out that I was bulimic, it was like a very quick conversation, and then it's like, oh, she's fine. She's doing it for her craft. It's what she has to do. It's part of it's part of being an actress, and she needs to do that because
0: she's going to be a celebrity. She's going to be famous. She's. <laughs> when you think about that now, what does it mean to you that people wanted you that skinny?
1: It makes me think that they want me to be incapable of doing anything for myself other than being something pretty to look at. And now that I'm... A fisherman and have muscles, and if I don't eat, I regret it. When I'm out working, I feel lightheaded. I I need muscles to work. I need muscles to live. My husband loves my muscles.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Coastline. After this short break, more with fisherman and marine fisheries commissioner Anna Starshallum.
1: Loves my muscles.
0: You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Anastar Shalem, owner of Shalem Seafood, and yes, that is her real name, is exploring what it means to heal from multiple types of childhood trauma and why her growing physical strength seems to parallel her development of psychological strength.
1: And I grew up in the, initially in the South and in the Midwest and from a woman that is religious and being the weaker of a husband and wife team is an appeal to men. So it was just teaching me to appeal to men. And now I'm like, (laughs) now I appeal to women and I love that. I'm like, yes, let's unite. (laughs) It feels so good to be strong. It feels so good to like, it also developed my, you know, relationship with eating, restricting myself and being anorexic and bulimic for so long. Um, and going to the dentist and them saying like you've got a lot of wear and tear behind your front teeth and i'm like oh that's my fault that's from the stomach acid and it just it makes me so mad that i um would be excited in the past like vomiting felt good if i was super skinny and like my the hair on my arms got thicker i was like oh, i'm doing it right i need to be as skinny as possible all of these like really tormented torturous beliefs that i had been encouraged to develop and maintain now seem just insane to me
0: she's finding new joy in just well eating after leaving the world of acting and modeling in new york she hadn't yet discovered her love of shellfishing and so she went to work in the restaurant business the vulnerability she felt working behind the bar especially became intolerable you
1: feel like a cage like a caged animal and you can't escape. And I've always worked in fine dining for the majority of my career. And people are men that come in with money and think they can do anything or say anything or threaten you or grope you or wait in their car next to yours for to follow you home when you leave.
0: Anna's husband saw what was happening to her.
1: He was like, you you have to get out of this you're like you're deteriorating again, and I will not let it happen. So um, he said, "What do you what What would you like to do? What do you What makes you happy?" And I'm like, "I just I want to be fishing. I want to be in the marsh. I want to be outdoors. I want to supply restaurants, still, but you know, be in total control over it."
0: Her husband taught her how to fish.
1: The more that I am in the fishing world, the the more I feel. Like, that male gaze doesn't matter.
0: She recently traveled back to New York, not for any audition, but as an expert on North Carolina shellfish.
1: It was like the first time I was presenting in New York City, and people loved it, (laughs) rather than any time I'd present myself in auditions. It's just constant criticism and, like, you leave not wanting to go eat. (laughs) But this time it was just, you know, I, I felt much more powerful.
0: That trip was affirming for her, but some nights... She did return to her hotel room and collapse on her bed in tears. The healing process comes in fits and starts. And Anna remembers things suddenly sometimes, experiences so traumatic they've been repressed. As her healing continues, as she gets stronger and more able to handle it, some of the deeper, more repressed memories come to the surface again, were deliberately omitting details of the abuse she suffered at the hands of adults. But as she was going through this, writing in her journal as a teenager was one of the ways she coped. She recalls an entry she wrote at 15 while living alone in New York and getting her hair done professionally in New York for the first time.
1: I was so excited. And this guy named Alberto was the guy cutting my hair, which was so sweet because he's like, what are you doing here alone? And he was just the sweetest gay man <laughs> I loved it. It was very comforting, but we were t- I was for some reason able to, like, open up a little bit with him about uh, depression and whatnot. So I wrote this just a little journal entry. Alberto told me he has several friends when they moved to New York City and lived alone that needed professional help within six to eight months. Therapy. Unless you're here doing it, no one understands how hard it is and how lonely it is. People are everywhere, but you don't know anyone. You work so much that there's no time to meet people or make friends. Lots of people are just temporaries, visiting or vacationing. It's a strange thing how fast the city appears to be going, how simple, beautiful, and easy the people here make success look. Really, this city holds you in static, in closets, and the beautiful success you see walking the streets is often an ego-inflated knockoff. Everyone walks with their heads down. Reality. You don't have to be here to be someone. This city is not your ticket to become someone. There are too many no ones in a crowd that's easy to fit into. Silhouetted by their uniform, their arms grow strong, their spirits grow weak, and routine never stops. The city never does. But that's because we're all just waiting, waiting in a fast city going nowhere but down. The place you're in is not the picture. Your happy heart and mind will be picture perfect. Leave this city if you need to and be someone. That was 15 Lana. Anna. <laughs> I wrote that after my... I got a water and I sat at a um, a bar and ate the peanuts <laughs> and wrote that, which was uh, such a lonely moment. But I love it because, like, even something in me then was like, I do not need to be here, even though that was what my family's vision of success was for me with being a successful model and actress. It was never fulfilling like the marsh has become and, and fishing has become. And it's it's it's... I'm glad I left. Very glad.
0: As the Marsh Queen, she's learned how to find its treasures. In fact, she's so careful and observant, it's clear why picky chefs buy from her and why they sometimes join her on a fishing expedition to observe her process. The industry is regulated, and even before Governor Roy Cooper appointed her as a commissioner of marine fisheries, the primary regulatory body for commercial fishermen in North Carolina, she had to understand the stringent rules.
1: It starts with becoming a fish dealer on top of having your commercial fishing license and that uh, requires HACCP training which is um, hazard analysis critical control points for the safety of the shellfish Uh, legal refrigeration which is has to be mobile in my case and then I have refrigeration on the boat I live on as well so there's a lot of paperwork involved and when I am out in the marsh I have to document the exact time I harvest everything so everything has a tag whether it's in a bucket or a bag I often, unless it's order of mussels going to Charlotte or something, I'll de-beard all the mussels and I sell everything by the hundred count, unless the clams are bigger. Sometimes they will be a 75 count bag, but we have, um, I brought my little harvest tag, um, which, uh, talks about, you know, consumer advisory and we have to have the date, the harvest area and the time we collected it. And we have a trip ticket program in North Carolina that tracks everything brought in by every fisherman. So I submit that every month and I love to do that. They also let you write about the things you've seen in the marsh, like that are either good or bad. I've seen, you know, when I see a predominant amount of dead crabs, blue crabs, I'll report that. If I see, lately I've been seeing a lot of dead cannonball jellyfish, like a lot. And so I'm gonna write about that when I submit it.
0: What are cannonball jellyfish?
1: They're super round, they have this really pretty skirt that flows around the base that's like maroon and it leads up. I guess I wish I had the scientific information for all of these things, but I've always just been left to my own descriptions. You can pick them up from the top and they won't sting you and you can throw them at your friends (laughs) because they really don't hurt you that much at all. (laughs) They're really cute. They look like a little cartoon. I don't know what's making them die right now, but I'll write about that. And then the good things, like when I see an abundance of wild scallops, which I can't legally harvest in my area right now because of their uh, depletion. And so when I see them, I just get, I get so excited. I'll take a picture and I'll, I'll even like print pictures out and send them to DMF. But those, those scallops too, in, in observing them, when they get, they kind of get like caught in the edges of the marsh beds, especially when, like I normally see them in February and March in April. They hide under this really pretty algae that comes through that gives oysters those bluegills. I I know what to look for for their ridges when they're like hiding properly, but if I see one that the tide has flipped over and its white belly is visible, I'll flip them over to keep them safe and that's all I'll touch them for just because I don't want to damage them at all, but they've got beautiful blue eyes and they make the sweetest sounds. They're so pretty.
0: I can't help but wonder about other places offering local oysters for a lot less money than you might shell out, sorry, had to do it at least once, at a higher end restaurant. If people are getting cheaper oysters by the bushel at a fish shack sort of place, is it safe? What does it mean about the shellfish from other fishermen who aren't as careful or as picky as Anna?
1: You can go to Dockside and get all you can eat oysters in town. And I know those kind of environments are so fun, especially, you know, you can, Practically be barefoot while you're eating <laughs> there, you know, on the water. And uh, it's so southern and sweet. But there's a difference between the way I harvest and the way a normal commercial fisherman would. They go out and get as much as they can, which is five bushels every day, and drop it off at a fish market and hope that it sells. Don't, don't, doesn't really matter just to make the money. And I go out and make sure that I'm picking out very specific, beautiful really old, older oysters that have the right cup size, because that, that's how you'll know what that meat texture is going to be like. At the tops of the oyster beds, they kind of grow together and kind of like feathers. So at those all-you-can-eat places or even or the Calabash place you're talking about, they might have been clusters or just eating in volume rather than sitting there and enjoying the miroir of the oyster.
0: Right. So you're talking about a difference then between just... The quality, like you are harvesting oysters for premier restaurants and premier food providers.
1: Right. There's a lot of great fishermen that are bringing in tons of oysters every day, but yeah, they're just looking for different things and they have a different destination. And like the oysters at Dockside are great. My friend Megan and Drew harvest those, and you know they. There's a lot of people in our town that love stump stump sound oysters and that are gonna be the big meaty rocks, like really big. And unless my chefs want to bake them on the half shell like Ashley Christensen does at pools or at death and taxes, I'll bring them, you know, I'll, I would bring them larger ones for that preparation, but the majority of my chefs do raw or Dean does an amazing, amazing stuffed, stuffed ones too. But he still likes to keep them small because the, their shapes somewhat match the shapes of the farm oysters that are, sprawled out and they're just, he wants to keep that, um, I would imagine he wants to keep the meat texture similar throughout the the whole mix up of the farmed and the wilds.
0: She's talking about Dean Neff of Seabird Restaurant in downtown Wilmington. The way fisherman Anna Shellam takes care of what she calls the resource, the oyster beds, the scallops in precarious positions, the marsh itself, her care in choosing how and when and what to harvest, makes me wonder if part of her sensitivity to and sense of the marsh arises from her childhood trauma so talking about 15 year old anna and some of the eating disorders you struggled with and Mm -hmm. the you know disordered thinking around food which any kid would have been undergoing in those circumstances yes and you told me earlier that You would sometimes eat cotton balls to make yourself feel full yeah and you've gotten to a place where you love this the feel of your body when it's strong and you talk about loving food and eating oysters a lot and yes and so you've come to this this new place but if you had a daughter or if you could go back and reparent yourself how would you raise a daughter especially given all of the images that are out of control of parents, like the the social media photoshopped images that aren't even real, the media images that persist even in the 21st century of the female form
2: mm-hmm. I- implying
0: that it should be a certain way. So even when parents aren't teaching that, kids are still getting that message, especially little girls. Yes. So how would you hold space for a little girl to learn to love her body and enjoy food? And and how would you teach her to think about her body and food?
1: That's a great question. And it's probably why I'm not having kids because it's terrifying (laughs) to think about all that impact. That social media and the sexualizing of young girls, it's repulsive. But I would definitely not speak negatively about myself, especially my body in front of her. I'd write positive things on her mirror that would be love notes that she'd see every day and because I had to do that while I was healing and that was very helpful like even when she'd be brushing her teeth I would do that what
0: kinds of things would you say
1: like um on the mirror oh I would say it's it's okay to eat you have to eat in order to to live you're beautiful or just don't don't speak negatively of yourself or right now I've got one I've got a picture of me when I was a little girl and it says healing is hard but you're not alone anymore keep going. And then I see that, you know, every day when I get out of the shower and even if I'm not intentionally reading it, just subconsciously seeing those. I would hide love notes like that all over the place for my little girl if I had one. And um, I would cook with her. and teach her about uh, nutrition, that it's okay to enjoy things and whether it's gorging out sometimes, but don't, you know, don't hurt yourself by getting rid of it and <laughs> in the wrong way like I used to do. I would not encourage modeling for the dangerous situations you get put into and also just what i experienced with always never being good enough and never thin enough or too tall all of a sudden or maybe you should dye your hair red because red hair is in right now and it's just because you're too all-american looking or we need you to lose 10 pounds and telling a kid to lose 10 pounds is awful it's inevitable any child is going to be told things that are awful and be in scary situations, but I, I definitely would not send my child anywhere alone.
0: We know Anna Shalem considers the marsh a major factor in her healing. Perhaps she's right, and this sentient environment is leading her out of her dark childhood, but we can't really know that. We can, though, watch her face her trauma, hear her speak it out loud, grow stronger, Fish.
1: You have to know the waters back here to enjoy them, or work in them, or fish in them of any kind, any kind of fishing. You can hear the ocean, we're super close to the ocean. It's just over those dunes. That means when those king tides come in, this is nothing but, nothing but marsh. It's just the in, the salinity in these waters are super, super high. I haven't been out here just to listen in a long time. It feels so nice.
0: So she listens. Soon, she will eat and play and laugh.
1: <laughs> now I just sing and sing and dance in the marsh. <laughs> no more acting. It's all reality, which makes me so much happier.
0: That's this edition of Coastline. Heartfelt thanks to Anastar Shelham of Shelham Seafood and to deckhand and dear friend Vic Roberts. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Furnell engineered this episode. Find us on Facebook at WHQR's Coastline hosted by. You can find this episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.